Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, I guess we should um, change our tagline a little bit uh, as, you know, not the Westlot Pirates anymore, but maybe the Lambeau Field Pirates. Oh, God. Uh, I, oh, I, I, oh. oh I, I need to go take a I can't believe <coughs> I even said that. How oh, dare you, sir? Oh, How my God. How dare you? I, I regret that moment that came out of my mouth. I apologize. I am so sorry. I need. I have to go find some mouthwash. For, for <laughs> anyone who is wondering, this is proof positive that we don't workshop these intros before we fire it up. <laughs> yeah. It just happens no. in the moment. It happens, and, and I didn't push stop to rewind and do it again. We're just going to roll with it. Anyway, yeah, the, the chatter about you know, football hosting a game at, at Lambeau, potentially against Wisconsin, those rumors came out today. Not a fan, just on surface. But, like, you know, it, it, sounds, it seems like Ohio State at Cleveland all over again. Yeah, well... We'll see. I mean, again, it's like it's so cart before the horse because this is not an official announcement, and like we yeah, don't it, exactly know rumors and innuendos, right? And and again, if you could easily talk me into someone being like, let's just run this up the flagpole and see who salutes it, and uh, I'm not seeing a lot of salutes, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we'll we will uh, yeah we'll see. I mean, again, I you know. If, if it is what it is, you know, so be it, I guess. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, we have many more positive things to discuss over the course of this podcast than that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, let's, let's get it back on the on the positive side of things. Um, John, last week you and I had an opportunity uh, to go to Northwestern, uh, go to Deering Library uh, for this incredible event. And we were talking it up, you know, leading into it. But oh my God, the this Northwestern Night at the Archives completely exceeded any and all expectations. <clears throat> Jay uh, put together an incredible evening um, with some amazing stories, some artifacts that were just you know the water basketball trophy from nineteen oh something. That's what you're leading with. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot more to go into, but like that one just kind of like water basketball. It's a thing. It was a thing. And, and Northwestern just, was good at it, apparently. Yeah. They were, but the the stories that came out of this night were just insane. Like we could just, John and I could sit here all night just talk, like rehashing the entire thing. But like, I, I think we just need to hit a few of the highlights. Oh, it was, it was truly incredible. It It was a mix of... Kevin Leonard, who is the Northwestern archivist and is becoming the Northwestern historian, who is, we've, Sam and I have had the privilege of meeting him a couple of times now, and he is the nicest guy, could not know more about Northwestern history, more than you could possibly imagine. Um, he has at his fingers the wealth of material he has access to and has a deep working knowledge of. Um, the history of the history of this university and its athletics programs and his just generosity and willingness to open these things up and be like, yes, I'll help you put this event together. This is fantastic, et cetera. Let's do this. Um, and then on top of that, we had Dave Revson emceeing the event and 
Dave Revson, as we all know, is the number one guy over at BTN, um, senior studio host, and of course, one of the most legend legendary, you know, journalism Northwestern alums. And he's also someone with a deep love and interest, not just for Northwestern history, but for college football history. Um, and has written an excellent book that I'm in the middle of right now, Opening Kickoff, which I know Scuzz has already read. Um, New York Times bestselling author, Dave Revson. Yeah, that, that we all were given a copy of so generously from from Dave Revson at this event. Um, and it's about the the earliest days of college football. It's a fascinating read, but it just, it, there were just, there was so much love and care went into this event um, from Jay, from Kevin Leonard, from Dave Revson. And, I, and the result was, yeah, it was a mix of these jaw-dropping artifacts that we all got to look at. And then, like Sam said, just how special the event itself was. And and even, like, the stories from, like, Rich Falk was there. Oh, um, and, like, and, like, yeah, just, you know, the, the Northwestern basketball single-game scoring leader and the story that he told about how he broke the record and just not not even just that night of breaking the record but like le- like in the years leading up to it you know the backstory behind it was just you know you you're going to you tell it better than i do john oh, i'll unless you well well here's the thing there's there is and this this goes again to the kind of history that was on display at this event in terms of artifacts etc and there was a lot of rich folk memorabilia that Kevin Leonard put out for display that, as we said on Twitter, was eclipsed by the fact that Rich Falk was an active, eager participant in this event. And there were only 39 people at this event. Um, And so what's special about this story, first of all, is that Rich Falk told it directly to Sam and I. Um, This is, of course, legendary basketball player. Off to the side. Yeah. And then recounted it to the whole group um, later. But we have previously told the story on this pod of Rich Falk breaking the McGaw Hall and Northwestern scoring record his senior year. And that the it was against Iowa and the head coach of Iowa with whom he had this great relationship insisted that Rich Falk be put back into the game to score, um, to, to break the record. And there was this... Because Northwestern was beating Iowa so badly. Right, and Northwestern was beating Iowa so... They had such a good relationship. Exactly. And the, the, the amount of sportsmanship. And, but there's a, there is a deeper aspect to this story that Rich Fox shared with us directly, which is eight years earlier, the McGaw Hall scoring record that he himself broke, he watched the record he broke be set um, as an eighth grader who knew, I think maybe, I forget if it was family members he had were ushers and they got him into the first final four. The, or was it the first Final Four? It wasn't the first Final Four, it wasn't but the it, first was, final it four. was a Final Four. But it, but it was a Final Four held at Maga Hall, and it was the semifinal game before the final game in which someone set the record that Rich Falk broke. And Rich Falk, as an eighth grader, sat and watched that game. And sitting near him, watching the same game, um, were, I think, first of all, the Iowa coach, who subsequently would allow him, you know, would give him that grace to go in and break that record. And also Bill Russell, who was waiting to play in the national championship game. Um, so Rich Falk as an eighth grader 
and Bill Russell were both sitting in the stands watching the record be set that Rich Falk himself would break eight years later. Um, and so, and this, of course, this is being related to, and then subsequently, Rich Falk was eventually, you know, on the Celtics with, <laughs> Bill, with Russell. Bill Russell. Yeah. So it was, and, and again, it's, it's an amazing story, but then that this story was recounted directly to us by Rich Falk, who is just the most wonderful guy. And so, I mean, it was like, that's the kind of night this was. And can, can, yeah. Can you guys talk about the Jersey story? Yes. Cause like, cause this like, and then I want to chime in on the end as, as the one, as the one of the three of us who was not able to make it. This is the thing that resonated most for me in, in terms of what y'all shared. Let me tell po- you, in the room, in the room, it resonated too. Yeah, like like hit like hit hit on this for me, and then I want to I want to opine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, of the many artifacts that Kevin Leonard set out in a room within Deering Library, um, and again, beautiful room filled with beautiful artifacts, was a Northwestern football jersey that was roughly a century old. Um, I believe um, it was more a, I, like 1905. Yeah, more than a century old. It it was incredibly old, and North the truest, most brilliant Northwestern purple. It's like it hadn't aged a day. It's like it has been sitting in perfect stasis for over a century, and it is. It was as brilliant of a purple as any Northwestern like, football the, team's the, ever worn. The built-in shoulder pads were like shredded, like. They, they were leather. They were all torn to shreds. But the purple on this uniform was pristine. And and as Kevin Leonard himself went, right, it's like you get used to seeing black, old black and white photos, right? Old black and white photos, old black and white video, because color only goes back so far. And the grainier the video gets and the more black and white it gets and the older everything gets, you start thinking in black and white. And Kevin... Leonard confessed to thinking that way himself. And then you see a Jersey like this and you go, Oh my God. And it suddenly becomes so real. And you just realize, Oh my gosh, no, they were playing with color. That's as brilliant as anything we've ever seen. And it was just, I don't know. Yeah. It just history just reached up off the table and grabbed you. And I mean, there was a hush in the room when everyone was looking at that Jersey. I mean, I, and you know, so yes, guys, I mean, that's exactly how we felt. Yeah, so I mean, it it struck me for exactly what you just said because I like it, like that 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 statement. You get used to viewing these things in black and white. You think about you think about Otto Graham, and this this jersey way predated out Otto Graham. But you think about yeah. the the book that Dave Revson wrote and some of the photos that he has in in the center of that book, and they're all, they're all black and white, right from back in the day. And you just you just view the world in 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 that palette. And that's why events like these and historical preservation and seeing these things with your own eyes are so valuable. And so like, I, I, I say that to really like give so much credit and props and just like admiration to Kevin Leonard and historians um, worldwide who preserve these things so that you can see them with your naked eye and you can have this kind of epiphany that, that, Kevin described John that you just described etc like that like that is the thing that was just so palpable like wow well what an and, experience and, and, getting getting to see this and and, and I guess like I want to go one step further yeah. and say like if you're a big fan of Northwestern and you're interested in Northwestern history like Kevin Leonard wants to show you this shit yes yeah. he does and, and and I mean and as do we like hopefully at some point down the road like we can put something together 
um, to make some of this stuff more available. I was I, struck. Yeah, I, go ahead. I, I want I want to call out one thing that was just. Re- I mean, there was some amazing history, but there was also some more recent history. Um, Mike Hankowitz. Yeah. Had oh, donated. Yeah, this was cool yeah, too. Like he had donated not only like his you know beige uh, pullover that he wore at every game, but also detailed playbooks, mm-hmm. game notes, thoughts and theories, like all of his thoughts and game plans. He donated those to the Northwestern archives and to get a chance to just flip through briefly and like see the details that he had on every team. And it, it was just, it's, inc- it was amazing. It was incredible. It, exactly. It's like that so many people within the Northwestern community have such an innate respect for history that you can obviously see. I mean, it's it's so much. We put some of the stuff up online and some people like responded, you know, Twitter being like, man, I must feel like guilty, like looking at this. Like, I feel like I'm looking at like Intel because it was literally like Mike Hankowitz, his playbooks, his thought processes on defense. Um, it, I mean, it truly is him looking, being like, this is one of the great defensive college football minds of an era being like for posterity a hundred years from now, I want this in the record and that it will be a valuable addition. And it was. And, you know, we should run through um, just some of the other artifacts that we were able to see. There was a bunch of auto- real, real quick was there yeah. a special exhibit for the Hank special. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah, the, there was the actually notebook a page uh, along with a, a, a there was short a, video clip. There of, was a, of Corey a, Wooten a, dropping. In the I space. was going to say there was a plaster cast of Joe Gaziano dropping into the flat. There was <laughs> <laughs> no, the, someday, someday. Yeah, but there were. It's, I mean, Sam mentioned artifacts old and new. The rim from the tap horn to Harden pass was there. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, we could the. Billy as, as was a piece of the goalpost that was torn down in the 1949 Rose Bowl. Wooden yeah. goalpost, a, pe- a, a, a shard of that was also on display. Yep. Billy McKinney's last jersey as a Northwestern basketball player was framed and, and on display. There was a football program going the other way from, oh, now I'm going to blank, is it Shepherd Field? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, this is a football program that by about 20 years predates Dyke Stadium, which was built in, I believe, 1926. 26. So and, this was, and there was there was a program like from the dedication of Dyke Stadium as well. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, go, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry I, to I'm trying jump to, on that. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were – and then I'm trying to think – God, I mean, there was so much. Then And then in addition to everything else – Kevin Leonard, and this is where um, Dave Revson moderated, but they had this amazing back and forth discussion that we all sat down for that featured a couple amazing slides, including one that got an unbelievable amount of traction online when we put it up online. (laughs) Oh, my God. Which was a Daily Northwestern op-ed in 1931, or I guess just an editorial, in 1931 of... The Daily Northwestern telling Al Capone to stay the hell away from Ryan Field and not go to any more Northwestern football games. Um, And it was a flamethrower of an editorial. (laughs) As J.A. Adande noted uh, on Twitter, uh, they referred to Capone as a pudgy bootlegger. So if if you're looking for a new fantasy team name, a new intramural team name, pudgy bootlegger is, is available. 
Um, I, I did note. I did note there was no byline on that op-ed. Yeah, probably uh, for good reason. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and then I was I was laughing because someone I think the Reddit, Reddit college football who retweeted both this piece and the the photo of the brilliant purple jersey um, noted that I think by this point Capone had already been convicted and was like headed for headed for prison. And they were like, you know, so the risk wasn't as low for writing the editorial as it might have been. And I'd be like, if I'm writing about if if I'm writing that editorial, that editorial, I'm not literally worried about Al Capone himself whacking me. There are like 5000 guys under him. I'm like, I still feel like it was either very brave or very dumb to put that up. But um, and then there was, I mean, another slide of um, among in the 1930s um, at Dyke Stadium, Admiral Yamamoto, I don't think yeah. he was Admiral Yamamoto at the time, attended a Northwestern Iowa football game. This is the guy who, you know, one of the architects of Pearl Harbor subsequently um, was at the time. He may have been a university student at the time or just out, but um, actually was a, a college football fan and was attending. It goes on and on and on. The amount of history was it was mind-blowing it truly was and as, as we talk about history i mean that dovetails directly into uh the history that unless something goes horribly horribly wrong the history that we will see the three of us in person on thursday night as boo booey sits five points away from setting the all-time scoring record for northwestern basketball um yeah we'll we'll talk we'll get to that in just a sec but like yeah. Coming in, you know, th- this past weekend's games at Rutgers, at Indiana, um, you know, he, he went into the Indiana game 19 points out, got in foul trouble in the first half, and had to sit for most of the first half. So uh, he, you know, I, I figured he would he would break the record against Indiana, but because of foul trouble, he came up just a little bit short and puts us in a great spot to actually see it. Yeah, that worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'd hoped we'd hoped that this might this might come through, and um, I mean, obviously, you know, we need we need Boo to score. What is it? Five points. Five points. Yeah, five points to break the record. Um, I think you know that would be uh, it would be it would be something if that did not happen. Obviously, um, so we're we're really looking forward to that. It's it's I, by all accounts, it's going to be a pretty packed house. But uh, yeah. yeah, we'll we will be at the game. I'm I'm. Uh, uh, I'll be in, up in Chicago. I, my my plan, and I think John, you're going to be there as well, is to is to hit um, uh, beer on Central. It's a little beer shop uh, in Evanston, just just down the street from the stadiums. Um, late in the afternoon on Thursday, and then make our way to the game. Uh, should be a, should be a great time. Hopefully a historic night. Hopefully a fun night. Um, Northwestern needs needs the win, but um, you love the matchup. You love you love their potential at home, uh, especially you know getting a nice uh, nice bout of rest from from yesterday's game at uh, at IU. So it's a nice setup. Yeah, and we're we're very excited. The um, <clears throat> we should also thank so um, Ray Banfield at Northwestern Tickets did a really good job. Of, I mean, we're just we're indebted to him for um, making this come together with, for us because I mean we wanted to put this together a couple of weeks ago. Um, but even still, like, I think you're all aware that like a Northwestern ticket is, you know, they're hard to get. And we were like, look, like we're, you know, 
we any way that we can put this together like you know we you know we want to see if we can make it happen because we run really scuzz like scuzz said last week he hasn't been able to see boo in person and and we really want to make it happen and um ray was so great with helping us um work this out so again thank you so much to ray um who i think a lot of you know and he's a, a fantastic guy he was at and unite at the archives also um it was just such a great community event but thank you to him for that we're going to be up in the second level but hopefully we'll all be wearing our westlot pirate shirts so if any of you haven't met us yet and are you know have would like to um please find us like we'll we'll be making ourselves visible and we would love to talk to y'all so let, let's kind of go over these these two games um you know the loss at Rutgers, uh you know trying to figure out how to play without Ty Berry um, as, you know, he is out for the rest of the year with the torn meniscus. You know, we heard that that was maybe coming down the pike, but then, you know, actually hearing it announced was, you know, just a bummer. But, uh, you know, then having to, to Yeah, that wasn't, with, that wasn't difficult enough, apparently. Yeah, you know, just, you know, trying to replace the, the second most points uh, off, you know, off your roster. And then, of course, you know, having Ryan Langborg get tossed out of a game for one of the weakest flagrant two calls I've ever seen. And, and still we just barely lost to Rutgers. I I, mean, I don't, I, I don't yeah. understand. So I'm, 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 look, I'm trying to look up the NCAA rule here on what a flagrant two is, but let me just describe what happened in real time. Were you guys watching this? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so I mean, Langborg gets kind of cornered by two guys just across half court and is hand fighting, right, to try to keep the ball. As the ball gets knocked out of his hand, he happens to, like, hit one of the guys in the stomach. Uh, it was a little bit lower than the stomach, but... Was it yeah. Was it lower? Okay. Yeah. Um, it was pretty, pretty... I mean, like... like I just I just don't understand how you infer intent in that no, moment, which is my understanding of the difference between a flagrant two and a flagrant one. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he's you know he's been trapped. You know, he's picked up his dribble. He's trying to like he got his both hands on his ball, trying to you know elbow some space. He kind of gets knocked a little bit. The ball starts to come out of his hand. One hand comes off the ball, goes right into the guy's junk, basically. Maybe not quite in the not directly in the junk, but right there well that's and the key that's the that's the key piece though right it's like that like they seem to feel like they were absolutely constricted by the letter of the law relative to a groin shot basically right yeah i mean i but guess but that is that that's not explicitly stated in the rule book is it no I, but i mean they reviewed it's, this for it, like it, 10 minutes i know right? it's quote con contact that is unnecessary and excessive so like okay I'll ex- I'll accept it. Like, was it unnecessary? Sure. Was it excessive? Uh, I I don't know. Like, you're. I guess you're not like trying to infer intent um, with those words. But then, explain to me how, twenty two minutes later, when Justin Mullins gets his leg intentionally stepped on, like the dude stomps on his ankle while he's lying on the ground. Explain to me how that's not unnecessary and excessive. It, w- I mean, it, it was, and it, it, the whole thing was a travesty. I mean, I go back to the 
the groin shot itself, and, and I mean, like, look, when a guy has two hands on the basketball, it's like his, like, elbows exist. And it's like he wasn't out there chicken winging trying to catch a guy. He's holding the ball with two hands. And he's trying to, trying to make low. some space, right? Well, he didn't hit. He didn't hit the guy with his elbow. He hit the no. guy with like the back of it, like the back of his it's, hand, the slash his wrist so, area. It's so ridiculous, and that they reviewed it for that long. And that's where I come back to this, like stupidly being constrained by whatever the letter of the law was. Because if you have to review it that long, give me a break, right? Call it a one and be done, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that like was, on on the broadcast, they're like, you know, was that even a foul? Like, you know, right. okay, maybe it, it, maybe a foul, sure, but like. You know, are they reviewing it for a you know flagrant one? Yeah, that was right. that's a touchy flagrant one at best. And then they're like, flagrant two, he's done. They're like, what? And then the you have, and then hell. it all snowballs too, right? Because it's like, like Scuzz pointed out, you have the Mullins play, which was absolutely ridiculous. But then, if you have two plays like that already existing in the game, something that we would be much more likely to have an even-handed reaction on, which is Boo getting hit on that final shot, because it's not like he got clocked. He did get hit, but it was light contact, right? But you kind of evaluate something like that very differently when two egregious calls have already gone against you in a basketball game. And it's like, so, you know, and, and of course, the kicker, being Langborg was absolutely incandescent against Indiana. Yeah. And it's hard to believe we wouldn't have found three more lousy points, right? Yeah. Um against this Rutgers team, right? And I mean Well, and, not even not even three, because you take away the two the two penalty the two foul shots on the Oh yeah, on, right. on the tag. But but regardless, like I mean the the thing the thing that makes me irate about it, it's the same ref crew that I felt like was somewhat lopsided against Minnesota. Now in the mm-hmm. end 17 fouls on Northwestern, 17 fouls on Rutgers. So, like, you know, 25 free throws shot for Rutgers, 19 shot for Northwestern. That's not – I mean, that doesn't feel so lopsided, but I just – like, I can't, I can't get away from the fact that, like, refereeing in this league seems broken. And it, it – like, I, I didn't – I mean, we've been talking about it all year about the home, about how hard it is to win on the road in this conference. And then you look at like Purdue going to Ohio State and getting upset this weekend. Wisconsin going to um, Iowa on Saturday, getting getting upset. Like it just happens over and Ruck, Rutgers coming off this win against Northwestern and going to um, to Mich- Minnesota and, and losing. Um, it just, like it it is it is endless, and there is a. This is an element because I, I just I, – I, and, and well, we've certainly benefited from a little bit at, at home. I just like it's such a physical league and the refs seem incapable of managing the game. Well, and you can't tell me too that like Chris Collins – like there is a feeling within Northwestern Nation that since Chris Collins had that outburst, yep. Northwestern has not been getting the benefit of the doubt. And you can believe that's true. You cannot believe it's true. But you can look at the way like Chris Collins – reacted in the post game of this Rutgers game where his team absolutely got hosed by the mm-hmm. refs and you can't tell me he's not thinking about it himself and suddenly being like I guess I have to wa- really watch what I say because yep. we don't really know what the environment is here and it's like super that's what we want that's how we want to be thinking about this stretch run of basketball it's like to be thinking about 
the third group that's on the court every night. It's like, ugh, God. But, so dumb. But, I mean, hey, all the credit to the team for, as they have done so many times, flushing this and coming out and getting a big win. Yeah, Taking going, going to care of yeah, business. Absolutely. Um, well, you, you all think Ryan Langborg was pissed? Coming yeah. off of the <laughs> oh my God. game, he goes 7 of 15, 8 of 8 from the line, 4 of 7 from 3-point, 26 points to, to lead to lead all scorers against Six Indiana. dimes. Six dimes, including oh. an absolutely filthy dish to Matthew Nicholson. He um, was spectacular. And, I mean, the, like, yes, he, he played all 40 minutes. Boo only played 28 because of foul trouble early on. Um, but, like, Langborg had his best game as a cat Nicholson and Martinelli had this is possibly Nicholson's best game and it's close to Martinelli's best game oh I, I think it, it was it was Martinelli's best game especially because yeah. they had double doubles like 13 points 13 rebounds for Martinelli 14 points 16 rebounds for Nicholson mm-hmm. just unbelievable from that standpoint um Boo had a great second half like once he got back in the game, like he found some sweet passes as well. Like he continues oh to just demonstrate how how he's letting the game come to him instead of forcing it. Hit a couple of threes in, in a really critical stretch when Indiana was pulling in close, and um, just a phenomenal response uh, to that travesty of a game at, at Rutgers. And, and the Cats notch there is it their first road win? No, second road win in conference. Yeah, second um, conference yeah. road win. Second conference road win. Um, Comes at an, just an absolutely critical time, uh, eighteen and eight now overall with five games to play, um, three of which are at home. Uh, great stuff. And and you know yeah they had a huge lead and then horked up the vast majority of it in the last couple of minutes. And you know what a couple of things on that. First of all, just like Scuzz said, who cares? Big Ten road win. Like these things happen or they don't happen that's the only thing that matters it's in in their in their defense i will say in their defense in that in like yes indiana started scoring at a torrid pace like the last uh what two minutes uh or the last minute of the game um because northwestern was up you know three it was a three score game they they they're basically like at all costs do not foul and indiana got a couple like real nice um like alley-oops um, yeah in the lane, et cetera. Cats did not hit their foul shots like they needed to on the other end uh, a couple times. That that and then and then Indiana just hit like a couple absurd three point shots. Like like just wing in a prayer, like race down, get to the line, launch it. And um so like I like I'm not suggesting it's misleading or anything because it is it is what happened, but there, like there's a reason that the cats were kind of they were trying well, really hard not to foul in, sure. those, in those last couple minutes. And there's a poetry to it too, right? Because I think of the game at Welsh Ryan last year, and it's like, hey, this is what Northwestern does, you know? We get a massive lead on Indiana, and we give all of it back, and we still win. And like, whatever. These, if these, if this is the pattern, whatever. Just continue to do this for ten more games because these are these are wins. And, and I know we're about to pivot into our weekly historical segment here but kind of in the interest of thinking about that pivot um i was struck that i mean one of the things that's been the book on indiana all year this season is that i mean they're a talented team but they're young they turned a lot over and they don't really hit their free throws and they turn the ball over a lot and they will find ways to lose basketball games and northwestern's not that team 
like Northwest, like we have all been in those shoes for sure. And we all know that feeling of being like, oh God, if it's close, what is this? Northwest, this is just, it's just a team stacked with winners, man. Like, I don't know how to put it any better than that. And like, again, this is part of the reason that Northwestern owns Indiana right now. And that to be on that side of it against Indiana, you know, a team with national championships and a ton of tradition and just be like, we're the team that's got it straightened out right now. We're the team that's squared away. And in recent history, like we've got their number. And as that takes us to our uh, Lake the Post segment brought to you by Teamworks Media, um, you know, just some historical context for this. First three game win streak in Bloomington since 1931 to 1933. We're also sitting on uh, overall the most conference wins in a two year span ever. That that's where this Northwestern team is sitting right now. It's all just incredible. I mean, just think like you could be, I was doing the math and I was like, well, I guess it doesn't really work out unless you were like an athlete, but I was thinking there are probably Northwestern athletes who ought to jump close more immediately into my mind than they are right now, who showed up in 2020 and took that COVID year. Um, Probably someone like Angela Zedak, for example. We'll talk about softball later. But think, Angela Zedak's been at Northwestern for a long time and has seen nothing but Northwestern winning in Bloomington. Because it's like, I think it's 19, it's 2020, then they didn't play for two years. And then they've won in Bloomington each of the last two years. So it's three games in a five-year span. But that's the stretch of time covered where Northwestern hasn't lost at Indiana, which is just crazy to me. This would be like a stretch where Northwestern didn't lose at Ohio State for a stretch. Like in football? Yeah, or like... Like Indiana is... Like... I don't I don't know if like statistically they're the most successful program in Big Ten history, but like for so much of you know, obviously not the most recent fifteen years, but before that, like they were the standard in this conference forever. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like and another stat that Jay sent, it's like Chris Collins, there have been lean periods and there have been fat periods in the Chris Collins area era, but Chris Collins career is 9-8 and eight versus Indiana. He has a career-winning record. Um, and, of course, Mike Woodson's – I mean, uh, Indiana's current coach, Mike Woodson, who, you know, I don't think we're exactly in Bob Knight territory with the Mike Woodson era right now, but he's 0-4 against Northwestern. Um, and just that, again, like Scus said, to have all of these stats be in our favor and against Indiana's favor when it's friggin' Indiana – for basketball is it's it's such rarefied insane air that we're in right now yeah it's 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 wild and like you know coming up to this thursday against michigan a team that is just had uh i mean called michigan's year a rough year is putting it mildly um you know we're really in a, in a good spot you know getting that w on the road five games left um you know Road games against Maryland and Michigan State. Uh, home games, Michigan, Iowa, and Minnesota. You know, all three home games, definitely winnable. And, you know, we beat Michigan State earlier this year at home. You know, going on the going to East Lansing and getting the dub is going to be really tough. But, uh, you know, 
we we have beaten them once, and then going to Maryland. I mean, that also a, a really hard place to go uh, go win, but to get that second road win, I think is is huge. Yeah, Mich- Michigan's really been struggling. Uh, they're you know they've got three Big Ten wins. Um, only one of those uh, has come on the road against Iowa all the way back in uh, in December. Um, oh, excuse me, guys. Sorry, yawn. No, I was um, yawning at the exact same yeah, time. But they've um, but they've lost. You know, uh, nine of their last ten. Um, I'm sorry, eight of their last ten. They they now that you know wounded animal and and out for blood nothing to lose all that sort of stuff applies so the cat's got to be sharp they got to be on top of it but um this uh this looks to be setting us up um this is this is, this is a good game and I, honestly like Northwestern needs they need these opportunities to go to the bench yeah and this is a good you know maybe pivot point to talk a little bit about. Justin Mullins, Blake Smith, and Jordan Clayton. Absolutely. Because when we last podcasted, we didn't know we didn't know that Barry was going to be out for the rest of the year. We knew he was going to be out. We talked about the potential for the bench. You know, it's good to see some of these guys out there. You know, Clayton and Smith both got you know bit by um, some poor poor foul foul um, uh, some bad calls uh, for fouls against Penn State uh, two games ago or three games ago. Um. But these, you know, we're gonna be we're gonna be seeing minutes from these guys going forward. Now, um, Clayton has been, you know, guy that's 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 coming most throughout the course of the year. He's played in a lot of a lot of games, a couple minutes here and there. But logged ten against Nebraska in the second half after Barry was out. Eleven against Penn State. That was the game where he got he got four personal fouls, including a couple that were just total horse crap. Um, only nine minutes against Rutgers, and I'll be honest, I felt like he kind of struggled. Like he, he was not playing within within himself. Um, you know, a couple of rough turnovers uh, on some drives, et cetera. Did not see the floor against Indiana. They went mostly with with Mullins and Smith in, in Indiana. I'm talking about Smith first. Smith played a little bit in that Penn State game. Basically, like two fouls in two minutes was was basically in and out of the game almost immediately. Um, logged 13 minutes against IU. Uh, one rebound, one assist, one steal, one point. Uh, certainly contributed during that during that first half uh, when Boo was out. Primarily, did pick up three fouls. So he's he's a true freshman. Um, you know, totally still still learning the ropes. Um, I think uh, I'm sorry. He's a sophomore. Cl- Clayton's the freshman. Clayton's the freshman. Blake Smith the sophomore. Uh, but then Mullen. So we had like. A lot of people have been wondering this because we just have not seen much of Mullins all year. Um, transfer from Denver last year, uh, put up a lot, like, great stats at Denver, great on defense, good offensive threat. We thought there might be some potential, like, Chase Audige, uh vibe here in terms of what he, you know, like, the type of play he could bring to Northwestern. Not saying that he was going to be Audige, but, like, from, from, you know, cut from that cloth. Barely saw the floor all all year. Had you know five minutes uh, in that brutal game against Illinois back at the beginning of January, but that's about it. Until Rutgers, he plays twenty six minutes in the game uh, in the game against Rutgers. Basically, came and took took over. You know, for took the majority of Laneborg's minutes after Laneborg got got ejected. Scored eight, had four blocks. He was couple really rebounds. Yeah, a steal. Like, like. Talk about meeting the moment. Just phenomenal. 
Um, now was not able to, to, to match that against IU. I, you know, some of that is, you know, they start to plan for you. You don't have that same kind of adrenaline, et cetera. But like the point being here is like, I, I think Justin Mullins is a real player to watch. It, it was, a, he was a guy on everybody's radar coming into the season. And, um, I'm really excited to see how, how he and Clayton, I think are the ones that are going to split the most minutes over the upcoming games here. But, um, it's just going to be great to see these guys get some run. And, like, it's it's so critical that we build some guard depth for the postseason in these next five games. Absolutely, yeah. It's, ama- it's amazing, too. Like, I think the final piece of this is – I think it was Nick Medline. I saw say this on Twitter. But Nick Martinelli, who some, was someone who, like, but for his Northwestern offer, may have been, like, headed for the SOCON, like the Southern Conference. And this is a guy who came in and we didn't really know. We're like, is this guy going to be a role player? Like, what's the situation? I mean – he's phenomenal. Like he's a rocket ship right now, like uh, better and better and better. Like, I mean, this is, he just put up, grabbed 13 boards against Indiana and is like a a starter now and looks a hundred percent comfortable in that role. And is obviously going to be a dominant future wildcat. Like what a find Nick Martinelli and what a great job by the Northwestern coaches from Chris Collins on down for unlocking his potential. Um, Man, I mean, man alive to have a guy like that, who's so ascendant at a time when you need him. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about Martinelli is that, um, he was someone who had a legitimate chance to be Mr. Basketball, Illinois, his high school year. And for what, like for whatever, like he was, I think he was, he was scoring, um, he's putting up huge numbers in high school. Like he averaged 23 points a game, Seven rebounds a game. Um, his team went thirty-three and three. Uh, but we were the only Power Six team to offer him. He just wasn't. He just wasn't on anybody's radar. And like, there are a lot of people that thought he should have been, you know, like much, much more heralded, and just did not get the the, the notoriety, which was, of course, great for Northwestern. And now you see what that potential is is breeding at the at the next level. It's it's fantastic to see. He's, I mean, he's going to be a huge component of this team the next couple of years. Like, like a, between him and Barnheiser. Oh, yeah. Like, Absolutely. the nature of this team from, it's going to shift a bit from guard play to uh, to small forward play um, as as we exit the boo-boo era. This is a, a conversation for the future, but... Um, yeah, I like to like to see him to see him growing, to see his physicality and his comfort in a starter role. I mean, that's the difference between now and three games ago, right? Like he came out for that Penn State game and like a little bit deer in the headlights of not deer in the headlights, but just a little bit like a different role from what he's been playing all year. And that like it 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 seems to a layperson like that shouldn't matter, but that messes there, with an athlete's rhythm for sure. There's absolutely a, a completely different feel for starting versus coming off the bench. I mean, yeah. like, you know, I'm trying to, I think it might've been the Spurs back in the day who had one of their best players could not start. He still got the starters minutes, but could not start. He had to come on off the bench. And, like, and uh, Bowen, I, I, uh, Bruce Bowen, is that Bruce Bowen? Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Could not, you know, could not start at all, but you know, came in off the bench and got starters minutes it's a different mindset and you know, it, it takes a minute to get adjusted to that. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me that, I mean, again, we got five huge games left. We lost Ty Berry, a phenomenal player having a phenomenal season. And somehow, despite that, 
where like we got five dogs in this starting lineup and the bench still has to get sorted but like our five northwestern nation's gonna ride with these five guys all day like let's go so let's talk standings of the conference real quick yeah um, let's do it because there's i mean there's just been a lot of craziness um like including you know so purdue's out front now because wisconsin's been on a free fall wisconsin is now tied with northwestern for fourth at nine and six overall michigan state is right there with us as as, as well i'm sorry i said tie for fourth tie for third tie for third yeah um illinois got uh, a game and a half on the cats um and has a bit of a tougher road down the stretch i think um yeah, they still have – they play they, – I mean, they get a shot at Purdue at home. They have to go to Wisconsin, to Iowa. Um, two games against Iowa. Yeah, two games against – although Iowa's not that great. So, sure, but, sure. you know, we'll we'll see what happens there. But, um, I mean, Northwestern at, is – At you know, Penn State, you know. Northwestern's got a tough game against Michigan State that might ultimately decide the double bye as to whether, yeah, they, it absolutely whether could. or not they get that in the, uh, in the Big Ten tournament. So, um, this is uh, – these next five games are going to be wild and um, conference conference. I know we've, we and many others have certainly been very focused on tournament profile, tournament resume, that sort of thing. But like conference pecking order and conference standings is, is a huge deal. And, you know, Purdue's most likely going to win the big 10, although Illinois could have something to say about that. Um, But the cats are 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 right. Th- I mean, they're they're a floater away from being in the mix for that right now. Yeah, and you know the double buy. Let's let's not underestimate the the. It didn't go great last time. But yeah, yes, it didn't go great last year. It didn't, but you know. But I tell you, I, tell I, you what, I, I, I don't want to be ra- in that. Uh, I don't want to be in that four or five game, right? Yeah, and you know, I I, I still I would rather play a team that played the night before any day of the week, you know, you're coming in rested. The other teams played at least one game, possibly two. If, you know, mm-hmm. they got, you know, they got, they got hot on the, and on round two. There's said four or know, five. I think I meant five. Whoever plays the, um, the game, the game right outside of the double buy, um, five, six or whatever. That's, that's, I don't like, I don't want to be in that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think my one my one other thing about the standings, and again, like it's a huge five games ahead of us right now. But everyone, and we've talked about this before, like so many people who are like looking at tournament resume and so gun shy. Except, look, there comes a point where you have to go. This is the big effing ten. This is Big Ten basketball. The good teams in this conference are getting into the tournament. It's the big effing ten. Like that's the way this works it's one of the most tradition rich respected conferences in the country the top teams are going to get in now where's that cutoff right now i don't know but if it ended today there are five teams that are 100 percent getting in michigan state wisconsin northwestern illinois and purdue that's happening um and then it's like yeah there's a lot to play out from that point on but like you have to keep in mind that again like the selection committee and everyone else who's not in this conference puts so much weight into the work teams do in this conference and if you're putting up like a 12 and 8 conference record in the big 10 the whole nation stops and looks at that and goes damn that's a hard conference to win it um and again these are five titanic games like scott says like a million permutations could go down 
But as things currently stand, Northwestern is viewed as one of the best teams in the conference. And like that goes such a long way come Selection Sunday. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go cats. Shall we turn our attention uh, outside uh, to the spring sports? Um, I guess or, not entirely or, outside. Or in inside, unfortunately, into whatever they call the indoor facility at Notre Dame. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um yeah, let, let's start with lacrosse. I mean, that you know, going on the road after a great opening night uh, win against Syracuse. Going on the road and taking one on the chin uh, from the Irish. Um, you know, it's the first loss in a, in a long time. But uh, for them to then, you know, sit on that loss and then come back and absolutely curb stomp Marquette tonight, 21 to 3. Okay. It was, I think, the big thing about that Friday game against Notre Dame was the stunning way that it went down. Notre Dame's a very good team. Um, I don't know what their ranking is right they, now. But they I they think were number eight. I mean, they, they were eight coming in. They're certainly going up now. Um, yeah. And, but the big thing about this game that was so bizarre is Northwestern took an early lead, but then Notre Dame really went on a rally through the end of the first, second, third. Um, and kind of to everyone's shock in the lacrosse world, Notre Dame took a lead into the fourth. Or it was late third. A Northwestern was, and uh, Notre Dame was up nine to seven, and then Northwestern does what Northwestern always does, which is they rally, of course, like gangbusters, right? They get a, a goal from Madison Taylor, a goal from Emerson Bowling, uh, another goal from Madison Taylor, and then finally a goal from Sammy White, and the Cats have done their rally. It's like amazing. Like Northwestern bench is going crazy. You as a fan are going crazy. You're like, this is what Northwestern does. There we go. What a rally to take the lead. And then Notre Dame ripped off five straight goals. It was stunning. Um, and I think like for anyone who was Northwestern fan who was watching the game, your jaw just dropped. It was like, what? Like, this isn't what happens. Like Northwestern just put together this unbelievable rally to seize the bull by the horns and like remind everyone who. And then the, the roof caved in. Um, and I think like that it ended. And, you know, I think. It was a, a shock to the system, I'm sure, for the team and certainly for Northwestern um, lacrosse fans. I loved the Northwestern lacrosse Twitter account put put up a tweet that was basically like, adversity strikes, now what do you do? You know, like, okay, here, here it comes. Here's the, tough, here's the tough stuff. Like, what do you do? And like Sam said, like, they certainly put the hammer down against Marquette. Yeah, this, I mean... In a way, I mean, it feels like Northwestern lost to Notre Dame, who like playing their own game. Um, Notre Dame dominated draw controls, twenty to eight, and that Oof. was like that was the hallmark of the last two years of Northwestern. Is they kind of got back on top of that stat 
It's it's what led them to all those national championships many years ago. Mm-hmm. So they would dominate the draw control. They dominate possession, and in the pre shot clock era, like possession that, was everything. That was how you won. Now, like that's how Notre Dame took over the very end of this game is dominating draw, draw controls and then converting that. Like when you look across the stats, I mean Notre Dame kind of won o- almost every category. Um. They forced more turnovers. Northwestern just turned it over more. And with the draw control piece, like Notre Dame took 50% more shots than the Cats. Um, They were a little bit better on penalty shots. And that's, you know, that's how it falls. But um, to see the lacrosse team rebound and absolutely dominate in every sense and stretch of the word against Marquette. um, I mean, the, the the two teams traded traded goals at the beginning, and Marquette didn't score again until it was eleven to one. Yeah, and and again, like Marquette, not one of the top teams. Obviously, they had the misfortune of running into the most talented team in the country at the worst possible moment to run into that team, um, right? And the the Cats took took out their frustration on Marquette. I mean, the schedule gets really tough again, you know, very quickly, but um, you know. It's it is. I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, to their credit, right? They took that Syracuse loss at the start of last season, and that became the loss that defined the character of the team. And now they're staring another situation like that in the face. And um, I think we all fully expect that they're going to rise to the occasion. Uh, game coming up on Thursday in Boulder uh, against Colorado. So uh, getting that altitude, uh, see what effect <laughs> that has. I mean, yeah, on the road, it, on the road, thing. that game, then and then they go to Boston College, another yeah. tough, tough game on the road before coming home for Central Michigan, Denver, Albany, and uh, Johns Hopkins, and then uh, uh, yeah, Big Ten in, starts in the conference play. Yeah. And, except there is a little matchup at Chapel Hill uh, against North Carolina coming up at the end of March. Just you know, yeah. circle that and, one, indeed. And that BC one is huge too. I mean, it, like this is the the big. The big guns all take, you know, they all go at each other yeah, in the non-con. And it's it's one of the reasons people love lacrosse so much, you know. And it's like, yeah, the, this team, will, they'll dig down and they'll find it. But it doesn't, the road doesn't get easier. Jesus. they play, So, yes, they got Syracuse at home. But then at South Bend, at Chestnut Hill, at Chapel Hill, they also have to go to College Park and Ann Arbor. Yep. Yeah. I mean yeah. the 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 road schedule for this lacrosse team this year is um, preposterously difficult. I mean the schedule is always difficult, but this is skewed into opponents' home stadiums in a way that I do not recall seeing. Well, at least the Big Ten tournament is on the lake. Yeah. Oh man. Indeed. How lit is that going to be? <laughs> Have you ever thought about building a Westlaw Pirates-like community for your business? If so, we've got your solution. Teamworks Media, a brand marketing and content company, is here to help you tell your brand story better. Better yet, you can work directly with the founder, Jay Sharman, known on this podcast as Like the Posts. The same expertise he's brought to brands like ESPN, the Big Ten Conference, and Northwestern University are now available to you in an affordable way, directly with this Wildcat Superfan. Contact Jay directly at 312-446-9435 or jay at teamworksmedia.com to learn how to elevate your brand story. Ah, uh, shall we talk a little softball now? Yeah, it's it's and, funny. And like, it's o- only a little softball. 
Um, yeah. You know, we we were you know hoping for a, a nice. I mean, the on paper it looked like a great weekend down in Clearwater against some real top-notch opponents. Started off with an absolute barn burner against number Ooh. twelve ranked LSU. Um, Not wow. for the faint of heart that one. Yeah. No, just back and forth and back and forth and great pitching, clutch hitting, some you know miscues in the field that kind of led to some unearned runs that. I ended up coming back to haunt the Cats late, but uh, what a game. Yeah, it was the, I think the takeaway, couple takeaways, right, were LSU's an awesome softball team. And and it was it was two teams that looked incredibly evenly matched. Um, and again, this is with one of these teams being an SEC powerhouse, LSU. The two teams looked incredibly evenly matched and like sam said ultimately the difference ended up being errors errors in the field which i don't think any of us were expecting and it was a situation where it's softball is the kind of sport where an error that might seem benign can spiral and i think that's kind of like the situation that happened a couple of times um and at the same time i mean northwestern put a massive top of the sixth rally in um, to to take the lead and then watch the the runs you know come back and watched it slip away from them. Um, the good news is Northwestern, despite only being in Clearwater for two games, poured runs in across those two games, and um, the bats were absolutely cooking. And again, this is against two games against SEC and ACC pitching, um, and they tore the cover off the ball. 12 runs against LSU, and then the next day, uh, a 19-6, five-inning win uh, against Georgia Tech before the rest of the weekend was washed out uh, due to rain. Um, a game against number eight, Oklahoma State, number three, Texas, uh, two games that would have been really, really great linchpins. Just kind of you know see where we are uh, in, you know, against the big dogs. Um, unfortunately, didn't get a chance to, to play those, but... Uh, you know, yeah, on on to, on to the Mary Nutter uh, this up this weekend. Yeah, I think so. There, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to talk about. It. I mean, you had um, the bats, like we said, came alive. I mean, Hannah Katie absolutely crushed one against LSU. Just pulled it so hard, like out to like she's a lefty, cranked it out into right field, um, and just a moonshot. Kelsey Nader went yard. Bridget Donahue, who is someone who I think, you know, down the lineup is a is a bat that we're really hoping is going to get going. She crushed a deep shot to center field um, against Georgia Tech. The single name, and we mentioned her last week, but in terms of of all of the first years, and and again, there's there's a oodles of talent here, but Riley Grudzelanek just jumps out at you can you uh, say her name backwards yet no i cannot okay <laughs> but she is um someone who i mean when she's at the plate she looks dominant she looks like she's going to take you yard and then she's done it twice two weekends of softball she's gone yard twice and she pitches and against lsu i think in in that game this is a first year who cranked a home run and then also worked her way out of a bases loaded jam. And that's against LSU. Um, and I mean, it's a, 
and and this is a player who's barely still to this point played college softball. And I mean, it's just also too, it's just a player who, I mean, it makes me think of like a Rachel Lewis or a Jordan Rudd. And I know that's like, these are lofty names to be throwing out, but a player where her plate presence is such that you're like, if you're a pitcher, you better not screw up because this person's going to house you if you screw up this pitch. And that's what it feels like. And I think we're already like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're going to get to watch four years of Riley Grudzelanik hitting these moonshots. Yeah, so uh, this weekend, um, like I say, heading out to California, uh, we got UCLA, uh, LMU, San Diego, and Oregon State uh, coming up this weekend. And as we mentioned, the the following weekend, Auburn, North Texas, uh, USC, that's University of South Carolina Upstate, um, Auburn and North Texas, and, and uh, again, um, again, in that uh, weekend series in Auburn. Uh, so those are the upcoming weekends. Um, One, wanted to mention brief. So UCLA, who's usually like a top power, right? Um, they're two and three right now. So it was weird um, not seeing a number next to their name as I was yeah, looking at the, the schedule. They're like they're either not in the top twenty-five or they're like no, they're number they're number twenty right now. Um, and we are just outside the top 25. Um, this is as of the 12th. This doesn't include these games this past weekend. So that might change a little bit um, on both counts. Um, let's see. What did UCLA do this past weekend? Um, they were 2-3 and three their first weekend. Oh, hello. That did not take me to their schedule. But regardless, like this is a team that came in um, second to Oklahoma uh, last year and – they're usually very, very good. Um, maybe, maybe some opportunities. So let's see. They lost to Texas, who's like number one. They lost uh, twice. They got smoked by Texas in the second game. They lost to Oklahoma State. And then this past weekend, um, they had a tight one against Florida State, which they won. They lost to Georgia. So, like, they're they're beatable. Um, they were they were also in clear water. They weren't on our, our schedule, of course. But um, so Cats have a, have a great opportunity against them. Again, Oregon State, San Diego State, LMU, these teams are all um, – None, none of them are ranked, but, um, you know, from, from some warm weather spots uh, that usually put together good squads. So we'll see how it comes together. Um, but that UCLA game is the one to watch. Uh, 3 p.m. on – I'm sorry. I'm sorry. F- that was the Pacific time. I should, 5 p.m. Central on Friday afternoon, that gotcha. UCLA game. Gotcha. That's, the, that's the one to watch. So, uh, yeah. Any, anything else to mention um, before we get out of here? I, I, demolition has begun. At Ryan Field, um, it's actually kind of wild seeing uh, how much you know they've been able to knock down uh, in just the first week. I mean, most of the South stands are are, are gone at this point. And um, again, looking forward to all three of us being able to get a first eye look at that as you know we are all getting together for this game on Thursday against Michigan. Um, come find us, hit us up on the social media. We'll let you know where we are. Uh, look forward to seeing everyone that we possibly can come say hi. And, you know, it'll be great. You know, the three of us haven't gotten all three of us haven't been to a game together in, in a minute. So it'll be good. It'll be it'll be awesome. Um, a couple couple quick things returning to where we started, which was with the awesome and unite at the archives. I think one thing that that is really important to hammer home is, as as we said, Going into the event, there were only 39 people at the event. And these were all 39 people who signed up who all 
deeply wanted to come to this event and it meant a lot to them. And within that group, you had Dave Revson, as we mentioned, you, you had J.A. Adande, who just subsequently this week is the recipient of the Kurt Gowdy Media Award this year for the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, like an amazing honor. Um, he was there. You had, um, uh, we mentioned, of course, Rich Falk was there, but Kevin Rankin, great Northwestern basketball yeah. player, was also there. Chris Lawton, current Northwestern assistant coach, was there. We mentioned Ray Banfield with Northwestern Ticketing was also there. Um you had Noah Kaufman was there who like you'll hear his voice broadcasting a ton of Northwestern lacrosse and softball this weekend, this spring. And you'll probably hear him on the pod as well. Um, Brad Locker from inside NU was there. It was a huge group of people all converging. And of course, Kevin Leonard, you know, amazing Northwestern historian, of course, Jay, you know, Lake the posts, like this incredible eclectic group of people all gathered together and the common bond was caring about the university and caring about the history of the university. And it's like, again, we've beaten this into the ground a million times on this pod, but this is a special community. It's a special tight community where people really do care about things like this. And it was really awesome. And then the one other thing, it's, it's funny, a, a couple little things that all dovetailed around the same point that I feel like kind of saw over the past couple of weeks is we know that softball was was by and large after the first two games was rained out in Clearwater. But one of the things I did see online that they had time to do was all of the teams set up a big autograph session for the kids, right? Where all the kids in Clearwater and the whole area, anyone who'd come to the tournament could come through and get autographs and pictures and everything with the kids. And you have all of these awestruck little girls parading in front of the Northwestern softball team. And these things where you're like, these kids are just in awe. These are their heroes, right? Of all, and like, oh my gosh, you're actually going to sign this thing that I worship. And it's like, we know all the feels. We know how good those things feel. But we've talked about this before. When you have a team that has a brand like this, we talked about last week with Izzy Skein and Aaron Koykendall talking about seeing Northwestern playing as kids and that resonating and then being like, oh, I want to play for that team. And those seeds are planted and grow into gigantic great trees, right? And the Rich Falk story that Rich Falk told us. One of the things that Rich Falk, when he told the story that we recounted earlier, impressed on us. He specifically impressed on us, wanted us to understand this. He was like, you have to understand one of the reasons I didn't go to Iowa, where I had a phenomenal relationship with the coaches, is because the Northwestern brand of basketball was so strong at that point in time, circa the mid-1950s to 1960s. McGaw Hall was this awesome new facility that was one of the best facilities in the entire Big Ten, and they'd pack it for basketball games. And as a kid, going to a Final Four in that building, he was in awe. And he was, and then like later in high school, he's like, wait, I get the chance to go play here? Like, never forget that Northwestern has had brands like that in revenue sports before and has brands like that in sports like lacrosse and softball right now and the impact those kind of things can have um, in just the building of a program and the legacy of a program. So again, it's like, this was a hell of a weekend of a week for us to get steeped in this kind of history. And man, it, it just, it makes you, it's, it's so awesome to be able to recount this stuff. Well, uh, that'll just about wrap it up for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlot Pirates, and email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. 
Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west lot of whatever field we're playing in as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm for John Lacombe and Eric Skousby. I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.